2: Hey guys, Steven here. I want to talk to you for a second about our sponsor Manscaped. If you're looking for the best way to help your loved ones out in this holiday season, look no further than Manscaped. Manscaped has the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competitions. It is the only brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and have hygiene products uh, that are now available across Europe, Canada, and Australia. Uh, You can use the promo code Guilty at checkout for an additional twenty percent off your order. Definitely make sure and check out their boxers; big fan of those as well as their crop preserver ball deodorant. Yes, that's right; they now have deodorant for your balls. Like I said, use that promo code Guilty at checkout for an additional twenty percent off. And as always, thank you for your support and a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you from the Guiltiest Charge Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast with Steven and Alex. Uh, Alex, it's been a crazy day of football. It's been nice to just, you know, relax and, and not be stressed out about a Chargers game. Uh, but you obviously, you know, being a fan of the Eagles as well, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that was a stress-free, you know, environment for you too. What was what was the Eagles game like today?
3: Uh, I mean, it was, well... I, I said in the one o'clock hour, I had never watched NFL Red Zone before. I, I always had picked a game to watch on TV. Um, so with the one o'clock games, it was just like, you know, straight cocaine, you know, the uh, Falcons and bu- the Falcons and Buccaneers score touchdowns. And then you get, uh, go to like five other games. It was just uh, an intense first, uh, first block of football. And then the Eagles Cardinals was equally as cocaine. I mean, it, it was uh, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray uh, going back and forth. And that was a uh, real fun. And uh, I had never thought this until today, but uh, Carson Wentz,
2: you better start looking for another team. Yeah, man. Like I'm just really happy for Jalen Hurts, man. You know, I was yeah. a big fan of Wentz too. And I didn't really understand uh, why they would pick Jalen Hurts because, you know, I, I, no, I saw what Carson either. Wentz did last year and I was, you know, I was just all in and then, you know, he kind of just shot himself in the foot, if you will. Um, right. So they're in an interesting spot. You know, I think there are a couple teams teams uh, around the league that could trade for him and, and make things interesting. You know, I think the Colts have a lot of cap space. They could do it, you know, before today, I thought the Jaguars maybe could do that. You know, they have the cap space, but now the Jaguars are looking at the number one pick. And so we'll, uh, we'll touch on that as well. But, Um, you know, what do you think, what do you make of the Carson Wentz situation from here on out?
3: I don't know. Um, it'll be tough because we'll see if they trade them in the off season, because it'll be hard to, to do that with, I'm not exactly sure how the money works out and which teams have enough cap space to absorb that contract. Um, you know, maybe the Colts, uh, I'm not sure what the Broncos cap space really is. I haven't looked at it. Uh, and there's there's a couple other teams that would be, you know, theoretically in contention for him. Um, wouldn't shock me if the Patriots were, but they're pretty bad in cap space. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of teams that can go for him and a lot of teams that should try him out. I, I, I do still think there's potential there. I just think yeah, the last two years, um, this year in particular, and last year looking back on it when, you know, <laughs> you dive deeper into the stats and look at how many interceptable passes there were last year um you know so it's tough because I mean I think Hertz is going to be the guy going forward we'll see if Wentz stays in 2021 or you know they trade him it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out um (laughs) honestly I'm still on a Jalen Hurts high so I haven't even begun critically (laughs) thinking about Wentz or anything
2: (laughs) yeah totally understandable definitely something that you know is going to be the talk of the offseason so uh, we've got a really fun episode for you guys today. And, you know, we decided to kind of, you know, focus our attention for our Monday show on the draft, being that, you know, the, the Chargers played on Thursday. And so um we actually got to interview Brentley Weissman, who is a writer for the Draft Network and former scout of the Chargers. So that interview will come a little bit later. It was a really fun interview for the both of us and being able to talk about him or talk with him about the draft and, and you know get his perspective on on certain things and how the mind of scouts and front office people work so it was a lot of fun definitely stay tuned for that and uh we'll start with this with in terms of the draft you know the jets beating the rams shout out to the rams for the most embarrassing loss at sofi taking that (laughs) taking that torch away from the chargers and the 45-0 loss to the patriots but um You know, the Jaguars at one, they're in a really good spot now. If they stay at this, uh, stay with the number one pick, obviously they would have to lose the last two games. Um, But, you know, they've got 11 picks this year. They've got $100 million in cap space. And, you know, with Trevor Lawrence and potentially a new coach, if they get the right coach, they're going to be in a a really good spot and be able to rebuild really fast uh, with this team. You know, they've been through hell and back, but. Uh, you know, their their stock is is pointing straight up, in my opinion, if you get Trevor Lawrence on that team.
3: Yeah, and I don't think they have to worry about wins in the last two weeks because they got <laughs> the Bears and the Colts who are yeah. two teams that are going to be trying to win. So, no, I mean, yeah, that could be a quick rebuild. Obviously, they've talked about keeping Doug Marone in 2021. Uh, I have no idea where that stands. But if you get a new general manager, potentially a new coach, uh, and Trevor Lawrence, that is certainly uh, an enviable position for any new GM, any new coach that comes in there. Um, they have decent decent players, too. I mean, it's not like they have nothing on the roster. I, I think in terms of their roster, I would probably take them over the Jets. Uh, so yeah. I think that's a decent Atlantic spot for Trevor. You know, it's Jacksonville, so who knows if they're ever going to, you know, ever get it together. But, you know, that's a great uh, step forward if they do. If you do get Trevor Lawrence a uh, big new GM. And that's, you know, very quick, maybe two year rebuild. I don't think it'll t- take too too long.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it could very similar, be a very similar situation to the dolphins, right? You know, you obviously it'd be a little different because they would start the rebuild with their quarterback, but you know, the dolphins rebuild that, that situation so quick because, you know, they got the right coach and then they traded all the way. Their players got a ton of picks and, and all their rookies are contributing Uh, They have the cast space to take on a guy like Byron Jones and Kyle Van Noy, and it's it's paid dividends for them. So the Jaguars could be looking at a similar situation in terms of the Jets. I think it it becomes a super interesting situation because, you know, I still believe similar to Carson Wentz that Sam Darnold is someone that you could if you get the right coach that you could realistically save. And so if I'm the jets, man, I'm taking Panay Sewell and I'm pairing him with Makai Becton and I'm taking, and I'm having the best tackle tandem in the league, the most physical tackle tandem that anyone could ever possibly imagine. And, you know, you can figure out who you want to play left or right later on, but you know, I think if you take Sewell and you have Becton, you know, you get another weapon later in the draft and you can see if you can save Sam Darnold. And if not, you figure out the quarter quarterback spot later, like the Colts have done right now. Like they, they could follow that very similar path. You build a great offensive line, and, and you just figure the quarterback spot out later.
3: Yeah, no, I mean it'll be a very interesting domino effect if they don't uh, go Fields, like everyone had been expecting. Yeah, uh, Lawrence and Fields one two. So if they don't, and they take Wall, then who does that? Uh, who do the Bengals take? Then you know who does the next team take? Right. So that's a huge. Uh, domino effect down the draft. if It does hold with uh, the Jags at one and the Jets at two. So we'll have to keep track of the next two weeks. (laughs) I'm sure strength of schedule will come into play as we've seen with the Chargers and the Cowboys going back and forth in terms of draft position. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. You know, the Chargers now, I think, are at number number nine. Uh, Last time I checked on on Tankathon, so (laughs) that's been one of my most visited websites over the last (laughs) month, I'm sure. Same here. Uh, um, So it'll be interesting. I, I think, you know, if the Jets really do pass on fields and they don't have a chance at Lawrence, that could have draft ramifications for the Chargers. You know, if they're at number eight or nine, you know, there's a domino effect through the top five leading up to their pick, uh, that's a very big deal.
2: Yeah, you know, and the Jets passing on fields, you know, it creates a really good situation for the Bengals. I mean, obviously they would love to have Panay Sewell. I think that really is their biggest need. But then, it, you know, it, it's similar to conversations there that we were having about the Chargers picking at four and trading back. And, you know, you could either take the best offensive weapon, you could pay, take the best edge rusher or trade back. So, um, just for everybody listening at home, in, in case you haven't looked, uh, right now, as of 5 p.m. on Sunday night, so this will probably change tomorrow, but as of right now, the draft order is one Jacksonville, two Jets, three Bengals, four Panthers, five Falcons, six Houston pick, which obviously goes to the Dolphins, seven Eagles, eight, seven Eagles, even though they're not out of the playoff picture just yet, um, eight Cowboys, nine Chargers, ten Lions. Uh, and then from there, it just kind of gets a little muddier. So, you know, this is going to be a you know, really interesting draft from now on because, you know, we all assumed that it was going to be Lawrence one, Fields two. And now, you know, the Jets could throw a wrench in the entire draft and, and just create some chaos, which as an objective football fan, I love. And I think this is going to be a, a very entertaining draft now that it's not going to be, you know, just uh, chalk, if you will, from one and two.
3: Man, what if the Bengals take uh, Jamar Chase now, and they they there pair him with Joe Burrow? That yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, they need someone to protect him though, because Jamar Chase can't play offensive <laughs> line. Uh, so yeah. we'll see how they address that. If the if the Jets take Sue, will maybe the Jets uh, go for a high uh, skilled offensive player at the top there? Lot of lot of draft possibilities. Um, <laughs> the Chargers falling from five to nine. Um, that's uh, that's interesting. Or they fell from four to nine. That's interesting. If the, in terms of our uh, job conversation with brendley because a lot of our uh, conversation was about what the Chargers would do with that spot. But uh, right. you know, now we'll obviously have to expand. Uh, kind of how we look at prospects and see, you know, what uh, the Chargers do probably between five and ten, because that's where I think they'll likely end up.
2: Yeah, you know, obviously it's still totally up in the air. And the Chargers, I think. You know, we'll get to the the Broncos game, but I I do think that they have a good chance of beating the Broncos this week, uh, this next coming week. Um, I don't think they'll be the the Chiefs, who will be trying to clinch the one seed. Um, but you know, I, I think they absolutely could beat the Broncos and end up six and ten, and um, you know, end up right now like in their eight or nine ten range. Which, in my opinion, I I still think trading back would be the best possible outcome, but in terms of what this team needs and the offensive line that it needs to build, you know, I think being in the nine 10 11 range is probably the second best outcome for this team. In my opinion.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think being in that range is good. Um, you can trade back if you want to a little bit more easily than you are for, I think, because if you look at the teams that are currently behind the chargers, you have the lions, you have the bears, uh, the, the Patriots, uh, potentially the football team. You have a lot of teams that are going to need quarterbacks that, if the Chargers are eight or nine, will be within 10 picks of the Chargers, right? So yeah, it's much too. easier yeah. to move up from 19, 15, 13, uh, you know, whichever pick to number nine uh, instead of number four, right? So I, I do think from a trade back perspective, I don't think the Chargers are totally out of that discussion um, if they do want to trade back. Uh, I actually think it might have made it a little bit easier. Um, obviously <laughs> the quarterbacks will be interesting to watch because that is what people trade up for in the draft. Uh, right. And, you know, if they pass on fields and then fields falls, uh, fields falls to Atlanta or Carolina, then Logan Wilson will fall. And then there's kind of a, a, you know, domino effect there as well. Right. And Trey Lance, then, you know, what happens? So uh, that'll be interesting to watch. And then maybe, you know, that'll create a race, Uh, behind the Chargers of teams that really are wanting to trade up for those quarterbacks. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, Buffalo was in a similar position uh, a couple of years ago when the Chiefs uh, traded all that for Mahomes. Uh, So we'll see if the Chargers find themselves kind of in a similar position in that 9-10 range.
2: Yeah, and with the Falcons and Panthers at 4-5, and you know, this could be a very similar uh, situation with the Dolphins and Chargers last year. Where you know everybody was kind of thinking that maybe the Chargers would have to trade up to get their quarterback of choice, and obviously that didn't come to fruition. But you know, if you're the Falcons sitting at five and you want Justin Fields or you want Trey Lance or Zach Wilson or or whoever the you know you decide is your guy, then maybe you trade up. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I think if you're sitting at eight or nine, you, know, you can trade back, and, and you know you could get a team like the Niners or, or the Bears or whoever that needs. Uh, A new quarterback. I think that creates a lot of opportunities for uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. So we teased it. Let's get to the interview right now. And then we're going to have a discussion uh, about some coaching candidates and some Chargers news and things like that. Um, But let's get to the interview right now with uh, Brentley Weissman. So take a listen, guys. Hey, Chargers fans, we are so happy to be joined now by Weisman, Weissman, uh, who is doing some excellent work over at the Draft Network, and he is a former Chargers scout as well as some other stops. Uh, so, Brentley, thanks for joining us, and how are you doing, man?
1: Steven, man, th- appreciate you having me. I'm doing well. Uh, excited to hop on the pod and talk some Chargers football.
2: Yeah, we're super excited to have you on as well. Uh, you did just write an article about you know the Chargers draft and what they should be doing with uh, you know, with the chances and likelihood that Penesul is is off the board. So, uh, Chargers fans, if you have not read that yet, make sure and give that give that a read. So, I want to go back to your years with the Chargers and just kind of, you know, I've just been super curious about what that transition phase was like for the team, and you know, maybe was there a bigger sense of urgency or, or you know, just in the office? And what was your experience like working in that transition year, moving from San Diego to Los Angeles?
1: Yeah, so. You know, when I got hired back in 2017, my first day was actually, it was in OTAs. And I, I actually went to San Diego. So they were still in San Diego on my first day. Okay. And it was for like a three-week kind of veteran uh, mini camp, right? And, and after that third day, that was it. Like, that was the last day in San Diego. And so I flew home. We, you know, got my things together. And for a month later, we you know reconvene for training camp in orange county and so it was kind of cool I kind of got to see the last practice in San Diego in the San Diego facility um the transition to LA in my opinion was probably the smoothest NFL relocation transition you could probably ever imagine i mean really they drove up 80 miles up the right. up the 5 right and so you know the facility. You know the, the the Chargers staff did a great job of kind of turning this like business building into a football facility. And they had the field, they had the training room, and it was the facility's top notch, in my opinion. They 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 made it pretty much overnight. Um, you know the the whole team hotel that the training camp was in, the Irvine Marriott, super nice. I mean, all in all, I thought the transition went extremely smoothly. I did think there was a little more of an urgency to be good that first year. Right. You know, we were trying to quote unquote fight for LA. That was our slogan. Like yeah, that was what we were all about, you know, and understanding that we were trying to kind of steal market share from the Rams, steal market share from the Raiders. Right. Like even just trying to kind of continue to build that brand of charge football in the city of Los Angeles. Um, and so there was a little more added sense of urgency, but I think the Chargers being in Orange County, as compared to actually in Los Angeles, really was beneficial for them too. Because Orange County, I mean, I think they've really kind of got around the Chargers. They, the Chargers are in the community. They, they hang out at Newport. Like, yeah. I think, I think being in Orange County was a big benefit rather than being in Los Angeles, like with the Rams.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that you know, you, I think you're spot on about Orange County. So you did, you helped do the the 2018 draft. Um, was there anyone that you were, you know, pounded the table for that the Chargers ended up selecting it? And what kind what was that experience kind of like, you know, it's funny. My, my,
1: my favorite prospect in the 2018 draft is a player who, you know, I can say was very heavily considered to be the Chargers pick. Ultimately we, we, with Derwin James, it's, it's been a great pick if he can stay healthy. Yeah. But the guy, the guy I really liked was Taven Bryan, Brian tackle from a uh, defense tackle from Florida. You know, that season we couldn't stop the run to save our life. I mean, it was it was brutal, right? We had Corey Legit, who was playing on one knee at the time, essentially, and Brandon Mebane, who I think was like 31 at the time. And we just couldn't ha- we couldn't really stop the run, and we really had no interior rushing presence. And so Taven Bryan out of Florida was just a disruptive. interior pass rusher who had size, length, quickness. I mean, he was, in my opinion, a Cantonese prospect. Turns out he's not nearly as good as I thought he was as he's playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars and not really contributing. And so, you know, we obviously made the right call with Derwin James and, um, you know, another player I I really liked. I did like um, Trump being out of the 2018 draft. You know, I did like the safety Jesse Bates and Wake Forest. Who you know, obviously is having a hell of a year with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think he went in the third round. But, you know, he was the guy I wish I wish we could have selected um, as well. And then I liked Chenna for what he was at USC. You know, I uh, not necessarily sure if he's he fits with what the Chargers really want to do, which is a whole other conversation. But at the time, I I loved Chenna coming out. that he was a good pick in the second round. Uh, to provide some more pass rush opposite, you know, Bosa and and kind of playing, playing behind Ingram. Um, And then, yeah, man, I think I was really excited about some of the UDFAs we had signed that year, uh, especially, you know, some of the corners, Brandon Faison I thought was a really good pickup and he's, he's contributed, um, which we've seen. And so yeah, overall, I think, I think that class, you know, it was done pretty well so far.
3: So uh, when you're kind of a scout, how do you really evaluate injuries? Uh, this is something that like I run into with my mock drafts. And, you know, me me and Steven do mock drafts all the time. Um, but when we're doing mock drafts, it doesn't really matter if a guy has a torn ACL or something, because our jobs don't depend on it. We're <laughs> allowed to, um, to gas bag about it. So you know, when you're talking about a player like uh, Tua last year where it was like, OK, you know, a lot of people were conflicted on his medicals or, you know, this year the discussion is around like Walker Little or uh and Dean, You know, there's a lot of guys with torn ACLs, uh, blown out knees. Uh, how do you kind of evaluate that from player to player?
1: You know, one thing that's kind of people don't understand about a scout's job is like the tape evaluation is the smallest type of like percentage in terms of what scouts day-to-day is like that is not necessarily the role and the role is fighting at the player's character and then doing all the back and all the homework in terms of character injury you name it right what kind of kid he is that's the scouts a real job and so you know that way when Tom Tleska right is in the draft room he says hey what's the deal with this guy's medical they know everything from hell even in high school like we know if he broke his arm in high school right that's how far they go back and so injuries play a huge huge role in the draft in sorting your draft board i mean if a guy if a guy doesn't check out medically then no matter how like no matter how strong we feel about the player he's off the board like off the board i mean 100 percent. if he doesn't meet the criteria if the doctors don't clear him we don't draft him and that's like a real thing and so when you talk about walker little or you talk about homestead Dean, i mean and one acl isn't going to necessarily knock a player off the board but it's like those guys have a pattern of injuries that right. dates back from early of their college career or even in their high school career that's a concern you know or you know if there's some kind of like, genetical defects where it's Something that was just gonna never get better or continue to get worse, like those are the types of things that can really knock a player off the board. But to really to answer your question, the medical, in my opinion, is the biggest factor in in the overall evaluation.
2: Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And you know, uh, Tom Telesco mentioned that this past season when he was like, you know, when people were asking him about quarterbacks, and he mentioned you know the importance of durability. Uh, obviously this year you know for scouts and for teams it's going to be super interesting you know there's lots of opt-outs you know players have played four games six games 11 games whatever uh, the case may be and so you know the chargers in particular they have positions of need you know in the first round where they're you know could be looking at players who have opted out so how do you think teams in general will handle, you know, like a debate like Caleb Farley versus Patrick Sertan? Obviously Caleb Farley did not play this year. Sertan did. you, know, you could look at Gregory Rousseau and Quidi Pay as well. Uh, what kind of challenges is COVID going to present these, these teams next year?
1: I think, you know, we're in for an unprecedented offseason in terms of, you know, the football kind of evaluation cycle, I think now more than ever the combine is going to be huge kind of the in-person workouts if it's even possible due to COVID with some of these position coaches is going to be huge you know it's it's going to be extremely extremely tough to kind of weigh like like you said Caleb Farley's sophomore tape over Patrick Sertan's junior tape you know that's Scouts, are, this is going to be the toughest evaluation scouts will ever have, you know. And because while we might say, well, fairly, his sophomore tape was wasn't as impressive as Sertan's junior tape was, well, that's not really fair to say because who knows how well Fairly would have fared with that next year as a yeah. junior? Obviously, you're going to be better theoretically as a junior than a sophomore, so you know but that's just the risk some of these opt-outs players took you know and that's why i think we're going to see a lot of players drafted in the second and third round who are going to be damn good players it probably would have been first round picks you know if they would have opted in you know if they would have played i think of a guy like jalen twyman from it's Pitt, from Pitt. you know he's a name that's kind of got lost in the shuffle of the in the valuation season he's a Disruptive player who can rush the passer inside. He has an awesome first step, but like, he's his name's getting lost in the shuffle. But I'm just thinking, about if he would have played this season, you could, we could be talking about him as a first round pick, you know. And I just think the GMs and the talent evaluators are going to have such a hard time trying to distinguish, you know, is is this player, you know, just potential based off what we saw him from a sophomore season. Or should we go with what we've seen from a guy's junior season as in, like, Pretty Pay or or Patrick Sertan?
3: Yeah, um, I I totally agree with you on Twyman. It it blows my mind whenever he's, like, (laughs) available in the 60s or 70s in mock drafts. Um, But, yeah, the opt-out and that kind of stuff definitely plays a role. Uh, So the Chargers have the fourth pick right now. Uh, They're probably going to wind up somewhere between four and eight uh, in that kind of pick range but uh, who are some of the guys that you think uh, would be really good uh, with that first round pick?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because like you, like you said, the Chargers string some more wins on their schedule and they have some winnable games on their remaining schedule. Like they could win tomorrow night against the Vegas. They could beat Denver. You know, they, they have a couple of wins that they could get to knock them even further back. And so, you know, if there's, let's just pretend they're still in the top 10 I and mean, it's all said and done, which you know, me being an Oregon guy and a an Herbert fan, I, I hope they are, you know, because I I, we need, I need some more talented players around Herbert. You know, I think of guys like, you know, the uh, Edge, which I think outside of offensive line is the most pressing need. I think Gregory Rousseau at Miami. I think of Michigan's Pay. you know, at Corner. I think of Caleb Furley, like for, for Farley from Virginia Tech. I think of Alabama's Patrick Tutan. Obviously, we can get into the playmakers, right, of Jamar Chase, the receiver from LSU, or the Alabama duo of Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Waddell, or even the Florida tight end, Kyle Pitts. You know, these are all names who I think, you know, if the Chargers took e- any one of those guys, you can probably justify it and, it, you know, make, make it – you can spin it to be a good pick. There's also the option of trading down, right? You know, obviously, I think everyone would, that knows the Chargers roster, that knows – Kind of what they need, you'd say, offensive line, tackle, or guard would be their most pressing need. Hell, even center, team, in my opinion, would be the most pressing need. And, you know, so if they could potentially trade down from the top ten, pick up, up an extra second, extra third, get a Northwesterns or Sean Slater or a Texas Samuel Cosme or hell, even you know Oklahoma's Creed Humphrey, you know that that could make some sense in the middle of the first round, while being able to pick up. So, you know some extra picks down the line. It, it just depends. You know, for me personally, I like the depth of the corner and offensive line class more than I do the edge rusher class. So if it's up to me, I'm sticking in the top ten. I'm picking an edge rusher because I don't think you can go into the season with just Joey Bosa and no and nothing else opposite him. You know, I don't think they're going to reach resign Melvin Ingram. I haven't, you know, Chena, we can get into that. I, I just don't see it uh, with Chena. I don't think he's a guy you can count on to be a 16-game starter at Leo, both from an injury perspective as well as a talent perspective. I think they need another dynamic addressing presence. And so if I'm the Chargers, I'm, I'm prioritizing drafting an addresser in the top 10, um, or I'm trading out of the pick and trying to pick up more picks and drafting a, uh offensive lineman in the middle of the first round.
2: Yeah, Alex and I, we are uh, big, big fans of the idea of trading back, you know, like they have nine picks already, but just the idea of them, you know, having 10, 11 picks in a draft has always been so interesting to me. Um, You mentioned Rayshon Slater, and I think he's one of the most interesting guys in this draft because, you know, he played so well against Chase Young, but outside of that, you know, there is some question marks, and obviously he opted out. You know, the guys at um, Pro Football Network have him listed as a guard. You guys have him listed as a tackle. What do you make of Rayshon Slater? And, you know, if he's sitting there and the Chargers are at 8 or 9, would you pull the trigger on Rayshon Slater in that case?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Rayshon is – when I watched him over summer, he was an interesting valuation. I, I love his footwork. I love his balance. I love his ability to climb to second level. You know the lack of length concerns me, um, and I know that's going to concern the Chargers. That's that's a fact. Um, you know, I personally, I have, actually have Cosme as as my number two offensive tackle. Okay. Um, oh, over Slater. Um, I like Slater. I wouldn't take him in the top ten. Um, you know, I think he'd be a great pers- great great prospect to take. You know, late teens, early twenties um i just like the physical upside of causing more but i think it's interesting though because i think two things are happening right i think slider's a great prospect but i also think he's getting the benefit of the doubt for opting out ask him and he can kind of leave like going out on the note of yeah look look what he did against chase young whereas panay Sewell is almost getting the, op- the opposite treatment where it's like he opted out, but people are tr- looking at it from a negative almost, like, oh, well, he isn't doing X, Y, and Z. Whereas Slater, is like he he's he opted out, but people are only looking at the positives of his last season. So I think it's it's interesting dynamic that's happening between the two of them that I think is, isn't really being talked about enough. Um, but I mean, listen, I, I think Slater's a tackle. I don't think he's a guard. Either. I think he's a tackle, and I think he's he'll be a good starter from day one, in my opinion, too.
3: Um, just to do a little bit of rapid fire kind of first round, uh, if you go the Chargers pick, uh, Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan?
1: Yeah, I, I'd go uh, Farley. I, I I just think Farley, I think he has just more of a raw athletic upside than Sertan and just more natural playmaking ability.
3: And the one question that I want to get in, because it's, it's become an idea over the last couple of days, uh wide receiver isn't their biggest need, but a lot of people have mocked uh Jamar Chase to the Chargers at that pick uh, without trading back. What are your thoughts on that?
1: From the jump, I mean, I love Jamar Chase. Like I'm like I love the idea of Herbert throwing Jamar Chase. Like getting getting out there right now. I love the idea. Yeah. I don't know if I love the pick. You know, I I I just think at that point. You can't just, and I get the idea of like you want to make your strength even more of your strength. I I love that philosophy, but like you can't go into the season with what you have at the offensive line. You can't go into the season with what you have on the defensive line. You can't go into the season with what you have in this in this corner back room. Another thing is, it's not like Mike Williams is a scrub. Like I love Mike Williams. Like when like if Mike Williams was featured. I think he'd be putting up a lot of numbers. I think Mike Williams is super talented. I think he's underrated nationally. I think, you know, Herbert is wise in targeting Keenan as much as he does. But also it's like if we add Jamar Chase, is that are, are we automatically going to assume that Herbert's not going to continue targeting Keenan as much as he does? Or it's like, mm-hmm. are we just going to be asking ourselves, okay, well, we have Keenan and we have Mike and we have Chase, but Keenan's still getting you know 70% of the target share. It's like, because Mike Williams talent-wise deserves a lot more targets, you know. Like that, that's my opinion. I think Mike Williams is one of the most underutilized weapons in all football when he's healthy, you know, and obviously health is a big concern with him. But you know, again, like I like the idea of adding Chase. I just don't think I personally would do it.
2: Yeah, Mike Williams is really interesting. We've had this conversation, too, because, you know, he uh he had a sh- that shoulder injury in training camp and we all thought he was going to miss the Cincinnati game. And then, you know, in week one, it was just like, all right, jump ball, jump ball, jump ball, jump ball. And it's like, OK, well, are you ever going to see Mike Williams do other things besides jump balls?
1: No, I mean, like, listen, I think Mike Williams can do just about anything. And I think you're right. Like they only use him on, you know, one on one one-on-one situations. Uh rarely do you see any quick hitters to Mike. I think he's extremely underrated uh, with the ball in his hands, uh, running after the catch. I think he can do a whole bunch short to underneath underneath and, and intermediate parts of the field. I think again, Mike Williams is one of the most underutilized weapons in the entire league. Um and maybe that's just part of Herbert's development, right? Maybe, you know, Herbert just has a comfort comfort level with with Keenan. And, you know, maybe as he develops, that's when he'll kind of be able to kind of scan the field more and begin to move off Keenan and, and target other players. But as an Oregon fan, you know, Herbert's best season statistically was his junior year. And that's when he had Dylan Mitchell. Yeah. And it was the same thing. Like it was a, it was a Dylan Mitchell-Herbert connection. And it, I think that could be just the player Herbert is, where if he has number one, he's going to target his number one. And that's not good or bad. You know, I, I don't really have a take on that. I just think maybe that's who, who Herbert yeah. is.
2: Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how that develops in year two with him. And and you know, I think Hunter Henry is another guy that we could see him be used more uh, in year two. Well, uh, Bradley, this has been a, been awesome, man. It's been fun picking your brain about the draft and your experience with the Chargers. Um, what do you have coming up that we should keep an eye on? Obviously, you did your article today about the Chargers. Uh, what else do you have coming down the line?
1: Yeah, man, I got a got a piece about Miami's Jalen Phillips coming out. I think either tomorrow or Friday. Um, you know, a player who was the number one recruit coming out of high school went to UCLA. You know, things didn't necessarily shake out well there, and so he uh, made the transfer to Miami and is blowing up this year, man. Talk about physically imposing, athletic defensive end. Um, he's a guy. You know, depending how the medical and off the field checks out, I mean, he could be a know top 40 selection when it's all said and done and you know we're 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 shifting over you know as as the season begins to wind down we're shifting over more towards scouting and getting ready for the draft rather than kind of content pieces about the nfl season so super excited for that you know excited to kind of get some rankings going get a big board going and kind of stack up all these positions and just get ready for draft season man
2: Can't wait. Draft season is my favorite season. Unfortunately, you know, that's just three out of being a Chargers fan, I guess. (laughs) Um, But Brentley, thanks for your time, man. And we'll look forward to reading all your pieces and uh, Chargers fans, make sure you follow him on social media as well.
1: At Brentley 12. (laughs)
2: Thanks, (laughs) Brentley. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I personally had a, a, had a super fun time, you know, listening to Brentley and his experience as a scout. And it's always just been something that, I think is so interesting, and, and, and especially this year with the COVID, you know, implications and the injuries and things like that. Uh, it was a lot of fun picking his brain about those things.
3: Yeah, and unluckily for you guys, uh, we got a lot of the inside scoop, uh, hot sauce stuff that you guys didn't get uh, in that <laughs> interview. So we got we got we got some of that hot goss, uh, but it'll it'll be yeah no, I thought it was great with Brentley. Uh, <laughs> I like that he responded to my rapid fire questions and, uh, picking his brain as a scout. Uh, you know, I just think that that business, I guess is so interesting. Uh, cause you know, you, you never know really how right you are and how wrong you are and your job just depends on it. Right? you know, I think he mentioned in the interview, he, he really liked, uh, Taven Bryan over Derwin James. Uh, and that's something looking back, you know, where you go, you're crazy, but at the time, you know, it made a lot of sense. Right. Uh, and, um, you know that's just that's just how the draft works. You know, uh I didn't have high hopes for Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert, and now Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert are <laughs> two people I can't imagine my life without. Uh So that's that's where we are. Um So yeah, I'm probably not going to scout quarterbacks this year. I'm just on <laughs> that. Um, no, yeah, I, th- I thought the interview with Brentley was great, uh, and I I like that he just kind of. Gave us that visualization of what uh, the draft process for a scout really is.
2: Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun for me, just kind of learning, you know, getting a window into that behind the scenes stuff that, as basic football fans, we don't really get. So, you know, you have these takes, you grade these players, and at the end of the day, you know, you have to live with the results. And you know, even guys like Daniel Jeremiah and Louis Riddick, who are getting GM buzz, they they make mistakes too. So, uh, definitely a lot of fun. Um, Let's move on to the coaching uh, world, if you will. Uh, I was obviously all over the Brian Dable situation on Saturday. Uh, I'm all in on Brian Dable. I I know Alex isn't. So, Alex, I'll ask you what you think of the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, and maybe uh, we'll get to a different conversation of how our top three has changed a little bit down the road. But uh, Brian Dable, what are your thoughts on him?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, um, I don't know if he's my favorite guy, but he's definitely – I think one of the top five to top 10 candidates now uh, he, I mean, he's changed that offense in Buffalo completely and Buffalo, you know, I know they got digs, but outside of that, they don't have the most like stacked offense. It's a lot of like um, yeah. Cole, Cole Beasley, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. They, they don't have like a ton of guys that can just offensively change the game. The guy that they've made their offensive game changer is really Josh Allen. Uh, so, you know, it'd be great to see that with Justin Herbert, who, I do ultimately believe is still uh, more talented, even though Allen is the better, uh, better quarterback right now. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I would love to see Brian Dable uh, could bring a, a good staff. You know, he's been, he's been a good decision maker on that Buffalo uh, offense just in terms of what calls, what plays he goes with. You saw that in the Denver game. Uh, and I think he could work wonders with Justin Herbert. So you know, and he's a guy that's gotten buzz. You know, he has some connections to Telesco. I think it was a thing like they were on the same football team uh,
2: or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that's, they, they went to high school together.
3: Oh, they went to high school together. McDaniel's might have been the one that I don't remember which one was on the football team. <laughs> they both have connections to Telesco and they lived in the same place or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you yeah, know, uh, Albert Breer did mention, I believe it was him, that Joe Brady and Brian Diable were getting yeah. Chargers buzz. Joe Brady, a little bit more higher buzz in that kind of Josh McDaniels uh, tier. Uh, Joe Brady was getting kind of low level buzz was his term uh, for the Chargers job. So those are our three candidates, and uh, the trend that I notice is they want an offensive guy, uh, and that seems to be the trend so far. Uh, I don't mind that. Uh, I to me it doesn't matter whether you get an offensive or defensive guy as long as you believe he's the coach that can put you. Uh, positions to win and make the right decisions that's what matters to me uh so out of those three uh, i would go with brian Dable. <laughs> i would not yeah. go with Josh <laughs> mcdaniels um joe brady is really interesting but i i do still think he's maybe a year two yeah. years away from really landing that coaching job uh so you know Dable, out of the reported candidates he he, he would be my favorite right now
2: Yeah, you know, Joe Brady, I'll I'll start with him for a second, but he is a super interesting coach. You know, I think the hype for him has kind of tailed off as the Panthers season has kind of gone down the drain. Um, But his relationship with quarterbacks and receivers in particular, you know, is outstanding. I I do think uh, I agree with you that he's probably a year away from being like a legitimate, legitimate head coaching option. Because at the end of the day, I think he's only like 31. Mm -hmm. And and so he's just so young and I know age isn't the only thing that matters. You know, Sean McVay was hired when he was like 34 or whatever. Um, But Brady's he's only been a coordinator for one year. And, you know, McVay was a coordinator for three or four, I think, in Washington, um, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, getting to the table thing, when when we talked about our head coaching list, uh, like three or four weeks ago, he was someone that I kind of had my eye on, but I wanted to wait and see because. You know, the Bills season, they started so hot, right? You know, they were like 4-0 or whatever, and Josh Allen was playing out of his mind. And then they kind of tailed off a little bit right before the Chargers game. And then the Cardinals and Chargers wins kind of propelled them to what they're doing again now. So I kind of wanted to wait and see. Um, but honestly, I think my favorite thing about him, obviously he calls plays, you know, very well. He's got a good relationship with Josh Allen and, and has helped Josh Allen take that next step. But what I saw against the Niners and against um, the Broncos on Saturday is that he is aggressive and he's going to attack you from start to finish. And, you know, we all saw what happened when Anthony Lynn kind of took his foot off the gas pedal early in the season, when they lost those big leads against the Buccaneers and against the saints and, th- and teams like that and the chiefs. So watching Brian Dable just continue to call deep shots to Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley and all these guys even when they were up 21, 25 points against the Broncos, it was just kind of like, you know, this guy, I can 100% see being an offensive, uh, being a head coach, excuse me, because he's got that aggressive mentality that I want. And, you know, we, even on Thursday night, we saw, you know, Anthony kind of take his his foot off the gas pedal and the Raiders almost won the game in overtime. So I just really, really liked seeing his aggressive mentality Continue from start to finish these past couple weeks, and you know it just kind of is the gravy on top, if you will, because you know he's got a great track record of, of of developing players. He's won at the highest level in college, where he won a national championship, and with the Patriots, where he won a bunch of Super Bowls. So I just think watching those those games the past couple weeks really sold me on Brian Dable.
3: Yeah, no, I mean uh, I'm totally sold. If the Chargers were like, hey, we're hiring him tomorrow. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, I, I don't, re- you know, I think I still think we're early in terms of where the coaching search is going to go, but uh, yeah, you know, for, sure. uh, for all the people that were like, Oh, well, if the chargers win too much, then Anthony Lynn's job is going to be saved. Uh, the more names that we hear come out. Uh, I think there's much, much yeah. uh, less reduced chance that Anthony Lynn's job really can be saved uh, in some meaningful way. So Uh, You know, it's really extender fire Lin time. I think they're going to fire him. And I think, you know, the trend is clearly that no matter who it is, uh, I think that they're going to look for an offensive minded head coach, which I have no problem. You know, you want to develop Justin Herbert uh, and get that going. And, you know, what will be interesting is if you do hire an offensive minded head coach who you hire as a defensive coordinator, that'll be a huge hire uh, as well.
2: Yeah. And we'll get into that for sure. Once, you know, the, the job opening becomes official, but you know, Albert Breer reported the, the buzz around McDaniels and Dable and uh, Joe Brady on Friday after the Chargers won. So uh, I I mentioned this earlier, but I asked Tony Pauline in his, his mailbag uh, last week before the Raiders game. And he said that there was about a 20% chance that Anthony Lynn keeps his job. So I, I think they would have to win these last two games and win them convincingly, like, in a way that we just don't think is possible for Anthony Lynn yeah. to keep his job. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned the extension thing. He's got one more year on his contract technically for next year. But coaches never, never get to go until the last year of their contract. They either get fired or they get extended. And... <laughs> You know, extending Anthony Lynn at this point would, it, it's just would not be smart. It wouldn't make sense for anybody. So I, I still think even if they win these last two games and Anthony Lynn will be fired, uh, of course, unless they just like dominate the Broncos and Chiefs, and which uh, is not happening
3: yeah and the thing about those wins against the Raiders and the Falcons they didn't look particularly good right it, it was a lot of the same stuff that we were talking about in the Bills yeah. game in the Patriots game where the decision making and at timeout usage and all of those things were just kind of still off and there was still this you know Steichen looked kind of clunky I mean he looked better right. I think in the Thursday game but I don't know it, never looked super fluid. And, you know, the offense would kind of come and go. It wasn't particularly um, consistent throughout the game, I guess is what I would say. And, and the reason it was, you know, they did put up 30 points. I mean, they were playing Trayvon Mullen, <laughs> That's the reason you put up 30 <laughs> yeah. points and the Raiders fired their defensive coordinator. Uh, so, and, you know, it wasn't exactly a coaching masterpiece from John Gurdon either. So, you know, I, I think that they haven't won convincingly. Uh, I, I don't think these last two weeks are going to change anything. To, to me, the report uh, from before the Patriots game, even where Ed Rapaport right. said they were considering a midseason firing uh, of Anthony Lynn, that's the one that made me go, "There is no way." Uh, I think he's coming back. Just because once you get to that point, it's like I, I think he's a he's a lame duck coach at this point, right? Absolutely. Or you know, like a you know. A sitting president who's lost an election, or whatever, like that's what he is, uh, in terms of being in that position, that's just kind of awkward. Uh, and we won't know officially until Black Monday rolls around. Uh, but I, I just think that coupled with the fact that we already have three head coaching candidates, coupled with the fact that you know, uh, we have Tom palesco who is on the hot seat for sure. Uh, and, you know, has to make a move to make Justin Herbert and this team competitive, that's that's what I think is really going on here. I mean, there's a lot of factors at play, but I don't think there's any factors that really point to Lynn coming back, even if they win these last two games.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it it is unfortunate, right? You know, Anthony Lynn, it seemed like the Chargers had finally figured it out. And in 2018, they were really trending in the right direction and Lynn's a great guy but at the end of the day this is a results-based business and the results you know speak for themselves over the last couple of years and just the chargers they got to make a change man and you know their super bowl window is is slightly open they have to get the right head coach they have to get the right offensive line they've got to figure out a way to protect justin herbert um they're still a few pieces away but you know, we've seen over the last few years, you know, the Super Bowl window starts as soon as you get a rookie quarterback playing at a high level on a rookie contract and you don't have to pay him $40, $50 million or whatever. And right. that's what the Chargers have right now with Justin Herbert. So they got to go all in right now and, and figure these things out so that they can get the most out of Justin Herbert's career.
3: Yeah, no, I think that that's what they got to do. Um you know, I'm sure this will be kind of an extensive coaching process. You know, we talk about the Jags having a good opening with Trevor Lawrence and all the picks they've accumulated and all that, if if they do fire Doug Marone. Um, but, you know, the Chargers opening is really great, too. I mean, you talk about Justin Herbert, uh, talk about the draft capital they have this time with the extra third-round pick, extra sixth-round pick. Um, they're going to be a hot destination because there's going to be a coach that goes, hey, you know, I can I can win it with Herbert. I can contend right now, uh, and, and take this team and, and fix the chargers, <laughs> you know, yeah. fix the, fix the cursed franchise, right? There's going to be a coach that because of Herbert and, and all the players on this roster, like, uh, Keenan and Mosa, uh, Eckler, Henry thinks that they can fix it. Uh, and you know, that opens yourself up to a really great coaching market. So, uh, I'm excited and also nervous to see the chargers, uh, take advantage of said coaching market.
2: Yeah, it's going to be so much fun to watch and, and cover, <laughs> and, you know, it, it definitely is a little nerve wracking because, you know, you have the past history of the Chargers that kind of, you know, weighs into the situation. But at the same time, like they're in a different place, like literally and physically, you know, they're not in San Diego anymore. They're not a small market team. They are firmly entrenched in, a, in the largest market in the country. And so I, I think that they all understand, and especially Tom Telesco, like you mentioned, being on the hot seat, that they really have to get this thing right. And I um, just, you know, Anthony Lynn's just not it. So it's going to be really interesting. There's still a lot of people out there that still think that they should, you know, go after a more experienced head coach. All out Jack Del Rio, Marvin Lewis, um, Urban Meyer said that he basically is not coming out of the coat, not coming out of uh, retirement unless it's the perfect situation. Um, I don't know if the charges are that, and I don't think that they should really hire Urban Meyer to be honest. Um, you know, the, the college coaches are a little interesting. I don't think Pat Fitzgerald would leave the Midwest. I think he probably would prefer to stay in that area. And Matt Campbell, kind of his stock really, you know, took a hit this this weekend, as did Brian Kelly's. I don't know if Brian Kelly is as hot of a coach as uh, myself and others, you know, kind of speculated a few weeks ago.
3: Yeah, um, the guy a lot of people bring up is Jim Harbaugh, but I honestly think Jim Harbaugh is going to get extended <laughs> in Michigan. Yeah, I mean he he's a coach that's going into the last year of his deal, you know. But it, it was a coronavirus year, and you know he does still recruit well. So you know, I I don't think Michigan's going to fire uh, Jim Harbaugh. So it's, I know a lot of people have mentioned that as a potential uh, fit for the Chargers, but I don't think he's going anywhere yet. So we'll see what happens with the college coaches. Um, I I think the ones that are really in position to potentially get some NFL uh, jobs are are people like Matt Campbell, uh, people like uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who's obviously been in sort of these rumors. And I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, Cincinnati sitting there with Luke Fickle. um, I I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that gets some pro interest uh, for leading Cincinnati to a 9-0 season where – uh, the college football playoff committee went, no, we're going to put two lost Oklahoma over you.
0: Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you fucking schmucks. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in college coaching candidates. I'm mainly focused on the young ones. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly or any of those guys are leaving uh, just because they, they have such cushy jobs where uh, <laughs> they can get the top talent, and compete every year. So I, I don't think you're looking at coaches like that. And if urban does go back to coaching, I definitely think that's going to be college. I don't think he's coming to the yeah. NFL. Um, I, you know, maybe he'll go to USC or whatever. I don't know. Um, he'll go somewhere, but I don't think it's going to be the NFL. Uh, so, you know, I, I, think there's a lot of interesting candidates and I just hope more than anything, the chargers picked the right one and by right one. I mean, not Josh McDaniels. <laughs>
2: Yeah, definitely not Josh McDaniels, man. And people are still like, "Yo, know, why do you not like Josh McDaniels? Well, because he's a terrible human being. I want my Chargers coach to be at least a good human being. I would prefer him be a really good coach too, obviously. But, you know, I, I just I, I can't imagine rooting for someone who's cheated at every single spot that he's been and then obviously left the Colts hanging. And I don't know. I'm just not a fan, but it here's, is what it here's, is.
3: Here's the difference. Bill Belichick good cheater. All right. He's one, <laughs> he's one of the best cheaters of all time. All right. And one of the greatest coach, you know, if you want to hire a cheater, go, go after him. Don't hire Josh McDaniels because he cheated and he's not even good at his job after cheating. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> There <you go. laughs>
3: I just don't think it's worth it. So if you're going to go after a cheater, let's go get Belichick. Then. <laughs>
2: there you go. As for the urban thing, I think you're right. You know, Brian Kelly kind of said this a few weeks ago, You know when you're a college coach you get to control your roster and so i just you know a guy like urban that's been in college football for his entire life i think it would be tough for him to go into a situation and not have control of the roster and you know be able to basically do his own thing so um i just don't know if urban and you know you you bring in the, the health considerations and things like that um so for those who don't know, Urban actually has a cyst on his brain, which, you know, has caused, you know, some panic attacks and and things like that, you know, brought on by stress of coaching. So, you know, I, I just don't think that Urban's going to get into coaching, back into coaching, I should say, uh, unless, like he said, unless it's, you know, the perfect situation.
3: Yeah, Um yeah we'll see with urban i i do think it's kind of funny that college coaches say oh if we want to control the roster you want a top five recruiting class
1: That's yeah what you, want. <laughs> like, you yeah.
3: know i, I get a, i get a little sick of like dick Saban and davo being like oh we really love college yeah you really like succeeding in college and look to their credit like <laughs> these guys you know broke their necks to be in the position they're in and they worked yeah. really hard but it isn't exactly a hard job anymore with uh, the disparity between the top and the bottom, right? Like the disparity of the top ten recruiting teams and you know everyone else in the top fifty is is pretty intense. So you know that's that's what I would just say in response to that. So that yeah, you know I, I know a lot of people dream dream about Lincoln Riley as I said or Nick Saban making a return to the pros. You know it just doesn't make sense because right. they basically make like seven or eight million, $10 dollars million to recruit. Yeah um and they do a damn good job at it and they're gonna keep doing it don't see them taking the risk of coming to the nfl and not succeeding because you know then who knows what happens after that
2: yeah the college world is just so different and you know i I thought it was so funny like when i wrote my article on brian kelly you know i put in there that he has a winning culture and things like that and he does but people were like, "Well, he didn't win a national championship," and it's like, "Well, you know who wins national championships? Alabama and Clemson. That's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and
3: and one know? year of few. <laughs> yeah. So
2: the college world is just completely different, and we're seeing that now. You know, with the way that the playoff is set up, you know, it really is college football is about three teams, uh, and then like every single year, you'll get every other year, you'll get a fourth, like you know, randomly poke their head in." You know, Oregon or LSU, Florida State. But right now it's about Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And so whole, expecting all the great college coaches to win national championships before they move to the NFL, like it's just, it's unrealistic, right? You know, we look at what Matt Rule did, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. I know you're not a fan of him, but you know, if your criteria for a college coach making right. a jump to the NFL is winning a national championship, that doesn't exist because it's only Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and Ryan Day right now.
3: Right. No. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. You know, those are the coaches that are really at the high level. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, when it comes to those coaches, I would rather have like a Pat Fitzgerald or someone like that who does more with less than I would yes. a Nick Saban. Right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of translating that to the next level, right? Like a lot of these teams and a lot of coaching uh, openings that come available like it's usually less talented teams. And I mean, the chargers do have talent, but they still have to build the roster and to some extent, you know, like with the offensive line uh, do more with less, you know, until it's built out. Right. So like, I, I like those college coaches who are succeeding at Northwestern and succeeding at Iowa state and succeeding uh, at Cincinnati rather than, you know, Nick Saban going to the NFL. We've already seen Nick Saban going to the NFL, kind of flame out. Um, and I don't know if Dabo Sweeney, you know, is built for the NFL or Meyer. Um, I know people will disagree with me, but that's, that's just kind of my take. I, I'd rather have a guy who uh, does more with less and does more actual game to game coaching, uh, I guess, than, than yeah. the
2: guys at the top. Absolutely. Totally agree with you there. So has your top three uh, of your desired coaches for the Chargers changed at all?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, depends on what you mean by change. Like, obviously, Jack Del Rio is still my guy, but, (laughs) you know, speaking realistically, I don't think Jack Del Rio is going to happen. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some interviews this coaching cycle, but I don't think he's going to be the Chargers coach at all. I mean, the Chargers are clearly going in an offensive direction. Um, In terms of the guys that, like, I think have a realistic chance at the job, you know, I, I could. You know, I, I like Pat Fitzgerald a lot. You know, if he were to come to the Chargers, I would really like that. Uh, I don't know if I have like a firm top three, uh, but I, I, I would say Brian Gable is definitely a guy who's climbing for me. Um, Joe Brady is maybe a guy who's gone a little bit down based on the last couple weeks. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I really have a top three set. Uh, I would just say, you know, it's kind of the the same guys that we've been talking about really um you know still a little skeptical about like you know b enemy who <laughs> is brought up to me every time I tweet about a coach <laughs> um yeah. but uh, I mean honestly I I don't have like a strict top three anymore just because coaches have changed you know so much in the last week in terms of going up and down you know I I was really a big fan of Todd Bowles but Todd Bowles has like super lost the plot in the last couple of weeks with the Buccaneers. Yeah. Um, those defenses have taken a downturn. So I don't know if I'm so much a fan of that idea anymore. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would have to start looking, I guess, at the offensive coaches that are going to be available. Um, because that seems to be what the chargers are going to go with. So, you know, maybe, uh, in a week or two or whenever Anthony Lynn is fired, um, I'll start looking into some of the best, uh, offensive coaches for the chargers. But, um, Right now, it's hard to say that someone like Brian Dable uh, doesn't have uh, a lead in the pack.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, Dable has gone up to number one for me personally. Um, I understand, you know, some people have criticisms of him, and I think some of them are warranted. But, you know, I I just think that he's the the kind of coach that Justin Herbert needs and by extension, the rest of the team. So I still think Robert Salah would be really interesting. And I know he's a defensive head coach and, and runs the cover three scheme that everybody hates. But. You know, I think the attraction of Robert Salah is that he brings, you know, the Shanahan offense with him. And, you know, he's probably taking, um, I forget his first name, but the younger LaFleur brother, who is the passing game coordinator for the Niners is probably going with Salah to be the offensive coordinator, wherever Salah goes. So I think if the chargers could get that to happen and make that work, I would be thrilled there. But, You know, it seems like more and more people are thinking that Salah has eyes for Detroit and only Detroit because that's where he's from. Um, But then again, you know, we'll have to see if someone throws a boatload of money at him in in a better market with a better team. We'll have to see how he reacts to those possibilities. And I think, you know, the Chargers could make him a good offer and provide a much better scenario than Detroit can because Detroit, they don't have cap space. They don't have draft picks they don't have a young quarterback i know staff i love stafford but you know the organization apparently wants to move on from him so uh we'll have to see what salat chooses if he wants to go back home uh, or if he wants to you know take on a, a younger quarterback situation
3: and well, yeah that's a, i was just gonna say they don't have a quarterback but you know detroit is sitting there with the 10th pick right if they trade up and they want to take a trey lance or zach wilson you know, I, I think that that could work, especially if Justin yeah. Fields is is falling now. So you know, it, people can get that quarterback quickly than people uh, quicker than people think. But yes, well, we'll see what happens with Stafford. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him somewhere, and then you have you know, who's gonna go in this QB carousel between potentially Stafford and Wentz and all these guys? That would be really interesting to watch. Um, but no, I, I definitely think Salah's is going to end up with the lions. That just, that feels like the place that makes sense for him. Um, they're kind of rebuilding that organization, uh, as a whole after the, you know, Bob Quinn, uh, Patricia dynamic duo, so bad. um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 guess the chargers could woo him, but I don't think the chargers are going to go in his direction because I mean, he can bring Shanahan offense, but it's pretty clear to me and I keep saying it in the podcast today, but it's pretty clear they want an offensive coach. So I yeah. just don't think Sal is going to be on the list. Maybe he gets an interview. Um, but also Tom Telesco has hired two offensive coordinators to be the coach. I mean, we saw it with Michael Coy, we saw yeah. it with uh, Anthony Lynn. So that just seems to be the direction he wants to go. And, you know, the Justin Herbert factor, which is, you know, definitely pushing him more towards an offensive guy uh, than ever. Right. So. Well, We'll see what happens. Uh, I would never count it out because I would love to see Salah. He's definitely somewhere in my top five, along with uh, Dable, as we, as we mentioned. Uh, but I don't think he's going to end up being a fit for the
2: Chargers job. Yeah, I can agree with that. And, you know, I, I do think that Salah ends up in Detroit. Uh, and it seems lately that, you know, Eric Bienemy has eyes for Houston or Atlanta. I think he's from the Atlanta area or something like that. But Um, Apparently, he has a a relationship with Deshaun Watson and Watson has Mm -hmm. been uh, privately, you know, clamoring for the organization to go get him. So we'll have to see. I I don't think the Chargers would hire B especially with his, you know, again, his legal actions, which teach their own. Definitely do your research and and form your own opinion about them. But um, I just don't I I can't imagine that uh, the Chargers would hire him. And I don't know if the enemy would want to stay within the division, right? Like, you know, right. he's
3: already, he's, he's seen plenty of moms.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if I were coaching Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reed, like I wouldn't want to go to a place where I had would have to coach against them two, two times a year. So uh, maybe that's just me, but you know, I have to think that the enemy is going to be careful with the opportunity that he gets, and you know, at worst case scenario, frame is that he just stays in Kansas City as the offensive coordinator, and he gets to keep winning. So, uh, I think the enemy is going if to be I, selective.
3: If I was our maybe I run to that Atlanta job to get you know to be in the total opposite conference as Patrick yeah. Holmes and Andy Reid. I mean. Uh, that might make a lot of sense, um, but you know he he has a fallback. You know if the interviews don't go well this time, or if there's not an opportunity, he loves he he has the world's uh, greatest fallback option in terms right. of being with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Um, my great with the enemy, I, I don't know. I mean, I could see him being a good coach. I, I just think when you look at what Dable has done with much less, or, or yeah. not just Dable, but uh, other offensive coaching candidates. And you talk about the enemy who's not even calling the plays, you know, that's Andy Reed's, you know, job really. I'm sure he does have input, but you know, it all stops uh, and ends with Andy Reed and he did fall, you know, Patrick Mahomes did fall into his lap and he wasn't yeah. the offensive coordinator when Mahomes developed in 2017. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. Um, I, I don't think there's zero chance they hire him. I I could see him because they're going in this offensive direction, go for him. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bit more skeptical than I am of some of the other offensive coaching candidates just because um, of some of these previous interviews that he hasn't nailed and just the fact that he has had Mahomes and Andy Reid who might be so good that they make anyone else look good.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you know the the irony in all this situation in terms of coaching candidates is so funny to me because you know the the top candidates are you know a Buffalo offensive coordinator, which is what Anthony Lynn was, a former running backs coach, which Anthony Lynn was, a Seattle cover three disciple, which is what Gus Bradley is, and then you know you <laughs> and then you go Josh McDaniels, who is another Patriots know guy so it, the irony of this situation is not lost on me and I think it's just kind of hilarious
3: yeah no um, maybe maybe we should keep Anthony Lynn <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> look, look all right if it's McDaniels we might have to offer Anthony Lynn like a 10-year contract or <laughs> but um no I mean I, I I think they'll find the right guy and um yeah. you know I really I think they just need a guy who's situationally better. Like even if you don't find like a, a great coach that you love, as long as you find a guy that can coach situational football and stuff better than Anthony Lynn, I think yeah. that's the most important thing because um, that's, that's been Anthony's greatest weakness it, it, to me this season has been, you know, using the timeouts well um, running, you know, the right plays being, you know, uh, on, on the same page as your offensive coordinator that's been the issue more so than like really the wins and losses. It's really just been all of that situational football stuff. So if you, if you find a guy that you think is good um, with situational football, that's, that's might be the most important thing in addition to uh, whoever they hire as OC and uh, DC.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. It it really is. So um, I think that that'll do it for, for our show today. I think that was a lot of good discussion, you know, because you know, the draft is coming up quicker than people think. I can't believe it's already, you know, four months away or whatever. Um, you know, Black Monday, as we say, is is less than three weeks away already. Uh, you know, the Chargers coming down their last stretch with their last home game on Sunday against the Broncos, and then they will close out the season in Kansas City. Alex, any other thoughts before we wrap up today?
3: I'll throw you a question. So the Chargers are at nine. If you had to guess right now, if they stay at the ninth pick, Who do you think they
2: would take? Nine. I think that's good range for whoever the next offensive tackle is, whether that be Rayshon Slater or Elijah Vera Tucker or, or, you know, uh, Samuel Cosme is kind of shooting up draft boards right now. Um, But you could also go second pass rusher with, you know, Quiddy Pay or, you know, Jalen Phillips is kind of shooting up uh, draft boards as well. Um, I just think if you're at nine, you gotta go offensive line. Like that is the best range to take the second next second best offensive lineman. Um, but I, I I still kind of think that Tom Telesco is gonna prioritize pass rusher in the first round. So I, I do think that at nine they would still take you know Quitty pay or Rousseau or yeah. Jalen Phillips, uh, who's there.
3: Yeah, no, I I think it would be Quiddy Um if they do stay there and Rousseau goes before. Um, but yeah, obviously, extremely early. Just wanted to throw that hypothetical out there. So, remember, uh, until something happens in the Sunday night or Monday night football games, we'll be picking a nine until yeah. tomorrow.
2: <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see how that pans out. And you know, the Giants, I think, uh, they're tonight's game, right? And so, I think the Giants, if they lose, could move up a, a spot ahead of the Chargers. So, we'll see. Um, right, but that'll do it for our show today, guys. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you follow Brentley Weissman, who was very kind enough to join us and, uh, stay tuned. I'll be writing an article about Brian Dable, which should be coming out, uh, either Monday night or Tuesday, Alex, do you have any, any articles coming out soon?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I do have an article coming out about Anthony Lynn and, and why I think that there's no chance he's coming back um so i I don't think these december wins are going to save them and uh, i've talked about a couple of the reasons on the show but i'll lay it out uh, in more detail in that article so stay tuned for that there we go
2: all right guys thanks for tuning in we will see you on thursday and i hope you have a wonderful week see you